guests, like Soccer Chat 2024 has been one for the record books. Uh, you know, we, we've had so many great guests on and this one has kind of been a long time coming. I feel like after kind of meeting uh, our guests in Chicago for a little bit, you know, it was like, all right, hey, how can we get them on? How can we get them on? Uh, and we were supposed to be able to hook up in Anaheim, but, you know, we're going to blame it on other shows that just asked way too many questions uh, that we weren't able to, to get our guest on. So the cool part is we get him today. He's ours. He's, we're not sharing him with everybody else, uh, though we have with us absolute I'm not even going to say like you just soccer legend in general, uh, Alexi Lawless. Alexi, thank you so much for, for coming on the show with us. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to meet. Well, I'm not really sorry because now, like you said, I mean, I, you know, those, you know, the Carly Lloyd types and the Landon Donovans and all that kind of right. stuff. I mean, l let's be honest. Diva, hello. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to share any of that spotlight with them. So I am fully focused uh, and uh, and zoned in on you guys now. Uh, as you mentioned, I get to hang with Nick, and that would have been would not have been the case in Anaheim. So it's a, a happy accident that I wasn't uh, able to figure it out uh, in Anaheim. But now we get to talk today, so it's a pleasure. Are you a Bob Ross fan? You mentioned happy accidents. It's so funny you mentioned that because I'm about to go uh, record a State of the Union podcast and um, Luke Wilson did this, I guess it's kind of a mockumentary type of thing where he plays Bob Ross uh, or a Bob Ross type of character mm -hmm. and it's just the weirdest movie ever. It's just whatever they were going for, they didn't get, but they got something else. You know, yeah, and, and for those that have no clue what the hell we're talking about, Bob Ross was this... Um, I, I think incredibly talented painter, but he he had a television show and he would just paint and paint and paint and paint and paint. And he had this wonderful, gentle, uh, spiritual type of soul in the way yeah. that not just he painted and he painted, you know, vistas and landscapes and stuff like that. But the way that he talked about it was as entertaining and maybe even more entertaining um, and maybe even more talented ultimately than what the finished product was there. So yeah, I'm a huge, huge Bob Ross fan. I didn't think that, uh, you know, for your bingo card out there that Bob Ross was going to start off the show, but check it out. So I, I bring up Bob Ross often because I'm a massive Bob Ross fan. Anybody who knows me knows that that's like golf and Bob Ross are my like stress making uh, like ways to get out of my stress. Uh, you know, my wife famously says, says if you if you come to our house and I'm watching Joy of Painting, you probably might want to leave the room for a little bit. Um, but also I'm an, I'm an Indiana boy. So Bob Ross is in Muncie, just about three hours north of where I'm at. So it's a, it's, it's a big ordeal. It's, it's transcended from, you know, initially people that watched it were kind of, you know, you would, you would drink a little bit or whatever. There were college kids and stuff. And there was a cynicism and, and kind of uh, ironic cool that was going on to it. And then it almost just transcended into, this is really awesome. And to your point, almost yeah. therapeutic in, in, in a is. way. So, I mean, he, he, he was, he was amazing. And his backstory is incredible, too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But I, anyway, I was going to I was actually going to bring it up today with uh, my good friend, David Mossy, who I do the State of the Union podcast with uh, as to one of the things that I had just watched. So. Uh, so we'll get to the, we had our Bob Ross chat for the day. So we'll get into the soccer side uh, of things. And, and that is a very good description for you, Alexi, of like how our show goes. We can talk soccer for a little bit. All of a sudden we're like way over here on the other side about food or drinks or whatever it may be and then we always bring it somehow bring it back to soccer but you know for for those that just may not know because unfortunately like you know nick and i are of the generation like i i have said on the show numerous times 1994 world cup changed my life and i was able to tell you this at the the draft uh in baltimore in 2008 and how like you and marcelo balboa changed my life long hair beards earrings 
rock stars. Like, I just thought that was the coolest thing. Like, Michael Jordan didn't have long hair and looked like a rock star. He was bald and had one earring. You know, like, Bo Jackson didn't look like a rock star. But there was just something about you guys and that team. And it was more than the denim jerseys and the, you know, the GQ 1990s model shoot that you guys did for those jerseys. But there was just something about that team that really captured Nick and I's generation. You know, how many of my friends that may not be soccer players or weren't soccer players when we were growing up, but they all knew who you were. They all know who Ronaldo was. They all know who, um, you know, Tony Miola was. And like, that just really changed things. So for us, like kind of from the backside, like, how did how did it kind of get to the point of 1994 for you? Like, where did you kind of start off at? And then how did you get to that point with the national team in 94? Yeah, so look, guys, the reason I am even talking to you today is because of the 1994 World Cup. I lived the power of what it can do to an individual and it changed my life forever. And I was incredibly fortunate. And look, timing in life is everything. And that I was born at a certain point and that the World Cup not only I was able to play in it, but play in a home World Cup. Um, you know, all that synergy, all everything just happened. Uh, in order to get there, I grew up in the 70s and 80s in suburban Detroit. I grew up doing mom and dad coaching and orange peels and juice boxes at halftime and travel teams and all the things that that we certainly have today. But it was also a very wild west type of existence i did not grow up with soccer players on my wall i did not grow up with <laughs> at the touch of a button like this generation has um being able to watch any team any league including a domestic league um just just at, 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 like i said at the at the uh on your on your fingertips here H having said that um i i love playing soccer and i grew up where my mom uh was a writer and my dad was a professor. Neither of them were into soccer, um, but they recognized this was something I was good at and something that kept me out of trouble. And I grew up, like I said, in Michigan, where it's the law, you got to play hockey. I actually played much more hockey growing up than soccer. And all that is to say is I, I look back and it was a very different um, landscape and climate um, and reality for a soccer player than it is now. And it warms the cockles of my redheaded heart to see how far we have come in a relatively short period of time and that there are kids that get up. I look at you guys. There's no way you were around back in 1994. You look too young, but I'll take your word I, I, for I it. I cut the grays out of my hair. That's Man, the problem. But, but look, there's people that are listening, watching um, that might not have been around uh, back then. And, you know, they see me from a more like a, a television perspective, which is great. I'm proud. I'm proud of that. But what I'm most proud of is that we live in a time now where, you know, a young young boy or girl that plays soccer in the United States wakes up in 2024 and all of these different opportunities and pathways that existed that never existed when I was, uh, when I was growing up. So I try not to grumpy old man too much. Um, and they, they don't need to thank me. <laughs> I don't need any of that. I stood on the shoulders of others that came before me. And I like to think that we've made it better. Uh, and I know we have made it better for, like I said, the young players that are coming out nowadays. So that's just a little synopsis of where uh, where I came from. I went through the college pathway, which I know now is kind of dried up for the elite player. And that's a whole discussion in and of itself. Uh, and then went on and played in you know Olympics and then parlayed that into an opportunity in the World Cup and then opportunity over in uh, Europe for a little bit. And then coming back for uh, MLS to start MLS in 96, which was one of the proudest moments of my life to be part of something from the beginning is pretty cool. You don't get to say that often. No, that's incredible. It's it's funny that you mentioned the like how you kind of transitioned into where the more current generation sees you as more of a broadcaster than maybe even a player. 
and I was actually out to breakfast with my wife and uh, sons today, and we were kind of talking. I, I was like, yeah, we're interviewing Alexia today, and she obviously knows your name because of the soccer, and I think obviously because of the we watch the women's game a lot as well, and you announced with that. And um, and I was like, yeah, well, do you know, like, have you ever seen what he looked like back in the day? And she's like, no, no. And I was like, okay, like, he just like, hey, like, I was like, he was a superstar. He was just like one of those, like, kind of Sean mentioned, even if you knew nothing about the men's national team, I – would contend that you were probably the most well-recognized just because like not only because of your ability, like you were U.S. player of the year in like 95, I think, but like because of everything, like the yeah. kind of like Sean mentioned, like the rock stuff, how much I, I'm like kind of going off the beaten track a little bit, how much of your love of music influenced your style and hair and beard in like in your look during that process? So I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it's immense. Um, you know, for those that don't know, I've been involved in music for years. You know, I, I was one of the kids that I'm sure maybe you're listening now that my mom sent me off to Mrs. Van Heusen's piano lessons when I was 10 years old or whatever. And I went kicking and screaming down the two blocks and, you know, cursing her name. And, and I love her so much for it now because it introduced me to something that has been in my life forever. And I continue to write and to record and, you know, all along the way performing. Um, nowadays, the kids would call it branding, right? So I I took a lot of my cues from music uh, and especially when it comes to you know a lot of the 80s. Um, aesthetic, you know, I came about right when MTV was coming uh, to the fore, um, the the style and the optics and what you, you know, how you said something was as important as what you said, how you looked was as important as the, as the song, all of that kind of stuff. I just put that all together, the DIY type of mentality of that Sunset Strip type of thing and the flyers and all that kind of stuff, you know, and I recognized that um, I always consider myself a performer. And so whether you're going on stage or whether you're going on the field, it's the same thing, whether you're putting on, you know, um, a costume or a, a, a jersey, it's the same thing. You're going you're going out there, you rehearse, you practice, then you go out there and you're in front of a crowd or, uh, you know, an audience. It's it's the same thing. And you want to have that interaction. You want to have that uh, that feeling. So, yeah, uh, to your point, Nick, music has driven a lot of the choices that I have made. Uh, especially when it comes to branding myself. And I know some people cringe when you talk about that, especially from an athletic perspective. But I would say that I was always comfortable in the costume that I was wearing and the brand that I was fostering out there. And I think you have to, at its core, it has to be part of who you are and who you believe you are and, and your essence. Yes, it can be bigger than life. And yes, it can be exaggerated at times. And it certainly was. But this persona that I was inhabiting um, I recognized that it was good for the brand and it made me better and excited me. And it was this character and this performance that I was giving on and off the field. That's so like reminiscent of like my time. Like I was a forward my whole life, except for my senior year of high school. And we had graduated one of our center backs and our coach was like, okay, uh, we need another center back. Sutherland, you do it. And I am super, super short. And the rest of our back line were all like 6'1", 6'2", 6'3". And I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. And it's so cool that you said that, you know, this character that you kind of developed yourself into, you know, I, I've said on the show before, like, as soon as that practice was over with, I ran straight to the bookstore and bought Dennis Rodman, Bad As I Want to Be. 
and was like, okay, like what, what I'm going to read this and I'm going to figure this, this gimmick out a little bit because I was doing theater arts in high school. I was like, I'm going to play a character. Cause I, cause I, I'm at least going to look like I know what I'm doing. Um, and so like, you know, I took the headband that, that you guys wore for a little bit, uh, you know, and, and added that to where all of a sudden like the rest of our defensive line added headbands as well. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's cool that you mentioned that whole like playing a character thing. Cause I find that sometimes players you know if they get put in, in roles that maybe they're not used to there's no like trying to find a way to get through it it's why well, I, I just can't do that like you said like you know maybe it's a character that you got to come up with like maybe it's not you but it's it's you playing that person that causes you and all of a sudden you just see that level rise up a little bit and, and look sometimes i guess it's you know i'm sure there's psychologists out there that would analyze it and it's protective and you know but you know never has more been done with a modicum of talent and like you said a lot of hair it was a whole lot of hair ago and and, and a guitar but you know to your point what what attracted me to the game when I was a kid was that I would go out on my my suburban sidewalk in front of my house like I said in Detroit and I would know that as I was juggling the ball there there was another young boy or girl on the other side of the world that was doing the exact same thing, whose circumstances might be completely different in terms of the culture and the language and the experiences that they have. But this was this thread that bound us. And to your point, the other part about soccer that I love is that, look, if you don't know anything about soccer and you, you know, if an alien just dropped in on the planet um, and saw Messi walking down the street, they wouldn't know that there goes arguably the greatest player ever to play the game. And one of the most famous people on earth, on earth, and I loved the fact that it didn't require you to be fast. It didn't require you to be strong. Sure, those attributes can can help, but the the spectrum of player when it comes to their physical abilities, I think, is so much wider in soccer relative to a lot of other sports. Which means it's, I guess, you know, to use the vernacular of the day. <laughs> I guess more inclusive in terms yeah. of accommodating more people out there. But I I loved that fact that it's not it's not just this exclusive club that simply by your you know um, your DNA or the, the way that you have been put together physically you're you're good or bad in a uh, in a sport. And I know I'm simplifying it dramatically for effect here when it comes to other sports, but I do think that that soccer in and of itself is a rarity with a lot of the things that we're talking about here. I'm going to break away from soccer real quick because you brought up music and I, I promise we won't talk music for the rest of the show, but of all your albums, you know, it seems where you don't judge a, an album by its cover. Cause if someone was to go on and, and view your album covers, the very first one, very Seattle grungy West coast looking to where all of a sudden now it's a little bit more, uh, you know, dad rock, I guess would be a, a phrase to use. So for you kind of that, that transgression and, and, and that, transition you know almost evolving kind of like a uh you know a, a different scale of like a madonna who consistently changed how her music was as time went on for you kind of what's that process now of when you're making a song compared to you know when you were making them back in 94 yeah i'm still in the eternal search for the perfect pop song and you know i grew up like i said in the 80s with mtv and i grew up with you know my spectrum of music was you know a lot of hair I guess what we call called hair metal, um, you know, mm. Sunset Strip type of stuff. You know, Rat is my favorite group ever. And the, so the Rats <laughs> and the Bon Jovi's and the Def Leppards and the Motley Crue's, all that kind of stuff. But then on the other side, I would be listening to Duran Duran and Nick Kershaw and these types of, uh, 
you know, uh, things. And then a lot of Americano when it would be John, well, back then it would be John Cougar, then John Cougar Mellencamp, and then John Mellencamp, uh, Tom Petty, Van Halen, uh, going back and forth, ABBA, Bee Gees, all over the place. So that it was a pretty eclectic, I think it was easier to be eclectic. Well, it, it wasn't easier, but I just think it was more normal to be eclectic back there with what we listened to. I guess it's easier now because of the you know, the abilities and the streaming services out there that enable you to get any song that you want, but you kind of have to cut through the clutter. So I continue to put out uh, music, like you said, and yeah, it's, it's, it's evolved. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't like things that are completely on the nose uh, when it comes to the, the, you know, the writing style um, and, you know, the, whether it's the covers or the actual music, inside yeah i like to think that it uh that it's evolved for you know all three of my fans including my mom out there. well sometimes my mom out there so I'll, you know until somebody tells me i can't do it anymore i'm just going to keep putting out stuff and i'll probably have another one here out in uh, in the next couple of years leading up to 2026 and it's just straight ahead pop rock you put it in you turn it up you put the windows down you have a good time and uh i guess there's some messages either uh you know subliminal subliminally or or not at all out there but for the most part it's i i, I just think it's uh it's good pop rock type. i try to like i still like the the 90s on nine and stuff like that is still like what i try to tune into or i just listen to my own stuff because i'm like well i can be the dj i can make listen to whatever i want to and then actually before anaheim um i took a listen at the melt away album and i was really like most of the time like just being honest, like I would never turn on music like that. Like I'll probably hear it back. Like, okay. Like that's cool. But there was just something about like a few of the songs and it just hooked me. And I was like, all right, I'm officially entering my, not, this is not a, a backhanded <laughs> compliment, but like I'm officially entering my forties or a little bit early because I was like, I really like this. Like I could go to a show and watch this and I'd be completely. Hey, listen, okay if I, that. if I can corner the dad market, you know, and, and, and yes. the, you know, the mom market, that would be huge. I would, I would love that, but you know, a, a hook's a hook. And it's 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 timeless. It's ageless uh, out there. And yeah, the, it's amazing how a lot of it is cyclical, too, in the way that the, the music industry works and that especially when it comes to, you know, for example, I know we're getting kind of into the music weeds here. We'll, we'll get it back on track here in a second. But <laughs> that, that, when you, when you look chat, at that's what we do. All right. But when you look at, you know, for example, what country music has become, you know, it, it's basically just the 80s pop and rock that I loved but with a little slide guitar here and a little bit of a twang in the vocal delivery out there. But it, 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 you know, that's why a lot of the old school country people have a real hard time with what that new pop uh, country aesthetic is. Um, and uh, ultimately what the, uh, the sound is and what the genre genre has turned into. But I just like, I just like good songs. And to your point, there's so much out there. The good, the good part is, there's so much out there. It's a, it's at your fingertips, like I said. So you have instant access to all of this stuff that back in the day, we would have to work really hard just to find if we found it at all. The bad part is from an artist's perspective is that anybody can make music and you can do it in your, uh, in your bedroom. And it means that there's just this glut of stuff out there. And a lot of it sucks, which is okay, because I'm never going to tell anybody not to be creative and, or not to be artistic and not to get that out uh, of them. But it also means you got to cut through all of that stuff to get your music out there. And while marketing is easier in terms of the platforms that you have out there, you're competing with just so much more. And that makes it difficult for anybody with any type of talent to break through. And so I got, a, I got an incredible amount of respect for anybody that ultimately does break through, either in the, I guess, more traditional ways or now some of the non-traditional ways of getting through to an audience. 
I think when it's all said and done, I think what we need now is, I mean, we had you for the first generation, like the 90s generation of the music. We had Clint Dempsey doing his hip hop thing in the mid 2000s. I think this new current generation of U.S. men's national team players needs their next musician. And maybe you could ultimately be a mentor for one of them. But nice, one, of the things nice. I, <laughs> one of the things I did want to say, like just to talk to circle it back to you and your playing career. First, those who didn't get the chance to see you play, if you had to pick one current U.S. men's national team player that you think emulates you the best or resembles you the best in terms of how you played, who do you think it would be? So I think that, you know, a comp would be, I don't know, um, uh, maybe a, a Walker Zimmerman-esque or a Tim Ream type of player. And the reason why I, I would I would lean a little bit more to Tim Ream is I am, I'm not jealous of a lot of things, but I am jealous in the way the game has evolved and progressed from a defensive standpoint, where there is this adherence to playing out of the back. And sometimes in my old brain, it, it drives me nuts and it can create, you know, incredible angst in the in the decisions when it comes to passing now, especially out of the back, where back in my day, the you know the risk uh, completely outweighed any type of benefit that you were going to get. And there are passes that are made today that uh, in in my day, you would be fired on the spot for even thinking about making. And yet you have to do it now in order to play, quote unquote, beautiful or evolved type of soccer. And I would love, I would have loved to have been given that type of autonomy and that type of direction on the field uh, and that type of confidence to play like that. And, you know, while the physical part of the game and certainly the aerial part of a game were a big part of, of uh, the way that I played, um, I did pride myself in terms of my touch and my ability to play out. And, and certainly as I grew, keeping the ball was important. And a lot of times when people, you know, ask me about advice, you know, canned type of advice. A lot of it is, especially from a defensive perspective, it's not just, it's not enough to get to the ball. Can you get the ball and actually keep it? Anybody can take the ball, the player in the first, you know, 10 rows of the stands out. Uh, and it's nice and it's fun to do it. Believe me, I did it plenty of times. It's a little easier, harder to do it nowadays in the game. But can you actually put out the fire and still retain possession of the ball? And I would have just loved to have seen how I would have evolved um, and adapted, and and maybe even, I, I, this is why I'm saying this, even thrived in this new age of playing out of the back because I enjoyed keeping possession of the ball. I enjoyed making those guys that made us run so much as defenders actually have to chase. <laughs> that's I like that. That's a, that's a good it's a good example. And it, it's, it brings up a good question. What are some of the ways that you have seen the game evolve in your time of the game, either as a player, um, general manager now as like a fan and podcaster presenter things like that that you like how it's evolved and what are ways in, that the games has evolved that you don't like as much so some of these will will be good and bad so let's uh, how about we take it from a development standpoint uh the age of specialization right um you know when i was growing up i played multiple sports i played high school uh, and nowadays at a very young age these players are being put into day in and day out elite types of training uh, environments. Now, to make better soccer players, that's probably a prudent thing to do. And certainly we're emulating what is happening around the world. But are we abdicating our responsibility to also make better young men and women that are going to lead what I feel is the greatest country in the world in the U.S. or lead countries and, and entities out there going forward? Because we concentrate on that 90 minutes. But the other 22 and a half hours, I think, is important and 
I do think that it is our responsibility as coaches and as nurturers of soccer players to recognize how important that 22 and a half hours. So, you know, the specialization is something that I, that I think about a lot in terms of, uh, in terms of development. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the, you know, the constant whining and whinging when it comes to games played, I don't know about you guys. Okay. And, and this is where I do get a little grumpy old man. I didn't like to practice. If I could have just played games every single day, I would have been fine. And it's all relative because everybody's playing a lot of games, but you know, the, the facilities that you have, the resources that you have, the money that you're, you are paid, the medical situation that you have, the rehab opportunities that you have, um, the travel in terms of the accommodations that you have, all of that is so different now and so much better. And, and that's a, that's a good thing that to cry and yell about playing a lot of games. I, I mean, I think that secretly, if you wake up players in the middle of the night, they, they will tell you that they'd much rather play games than training. And I would argue that if they say, no, I would rather train, then that's not a player that I want on my team. So there, those are, those are a couple of things. And then I guess more big picture in American soccer in particular, um, you know, our, our insecurity and our inferiority complex when it comes to how we look at ourselves and how other people look at us and how that affects how we do things. We, we don't have to apologize for anything, for what we are or aren't on and off the field. I'm, I'm done with that. Uh, I'm part of a generation and I raised my hand. At times we did it. Um, you are as genuine and authentic uh, as any fan base out there. Our game is different, admittedly, okay, but it doesn't mean that it's any better or worse than any game uh, on or off the field that exists and culture that exists around the world. It's uniquely American, and I think we need to lean into that, and I think ultimately that's what's going to make us uh, a great soccer-playing nation. And we do have a history, if you care to actually go back and look at it, there is a, a really robust type of history that's that exists. It's very different than the rest of the world. I get it with all the competition in other sports, but it it hurts me when we fight amongst ourselves. And I know it is La Cosa Nostra and we're kind of like a family and um, and the soccer wars with the Z that go go on out there. But when we, you know, we, we eat our own too often and we can't afford to do that, especially at this moment in time with 2026 coming, possibly 2027 coming. By the way, guys, I mean, have we thought about what's going to happen here over the next five, six years when you look at, you know, this summer with Copa America and Euros, which by the way, you can watch on Fox. Next summer with the Club uh, World Cup. Uh, then obviously 2026 with the men's World Cup, then possibly 2027 with the women's World Cup in the United States. Oh, and by the way, an Olympics this year, and, and definitely an Olympics in the U.S. coming up in 2027. So it's just going to be, you know, this wonderful smorgasbord of uh, of soccer, hopefully here in the United States going forward, because the rest of the world, they see there's gold in them, their American hills, and they have been coming, and they're only going to come even more as we get further and further uh, further along here. For us, one of the questions that we, we took like to ask one of our uh, our good friends of the show is uh, Jay Demerit um, yeah. from the from the national team, and and, and we affectionately uh, uh, coined him Hacksaw Jay Demerit because we talked about how uh, in 2010, my friends who are not soccer people, they they famously say, "I don't know much about soccer, but I know that I love my country." So every four years, they are the biggest U.S. soccer fans, and so in order to entice them uh, and to get them to remember players. Uh, we were all big pro wrestling kids uh, when we were growing up. So we we were able to determine who was who on our team. And we had, you know, Hacksaw J. Demerit's mothers. And it made Jay and I talk in um, actually in Kansas City. Uh, we talked about, or I'm sorry, in Philadelphia at the Coaches Convention two years ago. 
And he was kind of asking, you know, as a fan, like, what do you feel like the national team needs that maybe we don't have right now? And at the time, the big buzzword in sports was that dog mentality. And I talked about how, like, the generation, like you and Balboa, you guys were dogs. You know, Ronaldo was a dog, and 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 just how, like, I felt like that's what we we lacked, and, and it made us kind of laugh, and was like, okay, like, let's make the dog. So we we actually came up with like a clothing line. I'm going to screenshot it for. I'm going to screen share it with you. Um, nice. That uh, we were determined, like, you know, who was who. Um, and we based it off of this whole like wrestler persona. So when, when your name got brought up because Jay on his show with us, he was like, lawless is, is the dog. Like he's going to be our number one. So we, uh, likened you to this and we were going to put this on a t-shirt, uh, of you as the immortal Hulk Hogan. Um, because we, we came up with like various ones where like, okay, we're going to make shirts of this, get these guys to get involved with it because like, we think this would be pretty cool uh, for people. And so we just thought that you were like the real American hero. You were the ultimate dogs. So, like you had to be uh, the U S soccer Hulk Hogan for us. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I, first off, I appreciate that. You know, I've, I've kind of gotten, I did not grow up in, uh, in the, in the wrestling world, although I do. Which remember is crazy being from Detroit. No, listen, I remember WrestleMania at the Silverdome and all that kind of stuff. But, um, uh, but over the last few years, I've started to go to them uh, yes. and see it. You know, I was, I was at, uh, where was I in Nashville a couple of months ago, I went to Monday night raw or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and, and by the way, WWE in the news with, uh, with this new deal with Netflix and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, first off, I I am so in awe and impressed with the production, okay? Not just the lights and the sound and everything that they do. And now having been to a number of them, there is a consistency and a level of quality um, that is, I think, the industry standard. And when I say industry, all entertainment and what they do. And then you get down to the ethos because you walk around and they have obviously been schooled. When I say they, the, the talent on on in the ring but also the talent and everybody that works outside the ring that you have always you you have to always recognize uh your audience and the way that they treat people and whether it's you know an older person or a younger person it's just amazing in how kind they are how accommodating they are and that's that that comes from inside because I'll tell you in a, a lot of other sports and a lot of other leagues that is not necessarily the case but they recognize that you know you you butter that bread and that bread is your fan base out there and they have made you into in some cases multimillionaires that yeah. you are and as soon as you turn on them they will turn very very quickly uh, very very quickly on you to 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 Jay's point it again we have to avoid trying to be too you know grumpy old guys here but there's something it's like the um it's like the Supreme Court definition for obscenity, right? I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it, right? And so yeah. that that type of, for lack of a better word, Americanism or Americanness, <laughs> that that is, I think, a hallmark through the years, and you've seen it on different teams. Yeah. Um, as we progress and get better, I just hope we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't think that we have because you know when I see someone like, you know, a Tyler Adams or something like that, there is that type of grit for lack of a better word, that exists in it. But you can marry it with, what I hope, I hope so, is a more evolved type of approach, a more progressive type of approach, just better, ultimately, players, but never, ever losing that underdog type of mentality and feeling that has ultimately got, gotten us where uh, where we are. And so that's it's cool to see, and hopefully that is something that's passed, uh, passed down. But I think Jay and myself and others that have been around, you know, we want more for this team, but we also... You know, get a sense of uh, of connection 
um, and, a, and a jolt that runs through us when we do see what we're talking about here. And it's not always on display, but when it is, it's a wonderful American type of feeling. Uh, and not that people around the world can't be gritty and can't have, you know, all the different things that we're talking about. But I like to put it in the context of, of an American team when it comes to the men's team that for a long time has been the underdog and is trying to transition into being much more of an elite team and oftentimes um, the favorite. And that's not an easy transition to make. I like, I like you talking about that because I think it's something that we can lean into. And I think like most Americans this summer resonated with that wonderful picture of Weston McKinney having his Jersey ripped off, kissing the badge and things like that. And I feel like I like, if you don't know soccer and don't watch soccer and you see that as an American sports fan, that's going to engage you and draw you in. And that's why I hope that we don't lose that transitioning the way you said, like into one of the top teams, because I like, that was maybe one of my favorite moments, like moments, like that was a crazy game, obviously multiple red cards, everything. But like that game was, I think shows the defiance that some of these guys still have. And Weston's done such a great job, like going to relegated leads and then going over to Juventus. They're trying to ship him out. He's not, he's like, no, I'm staying. Like I'm not freaking leaving. And now becoming the, one of the best players for them over this year. It's, I hope we continue to lean into those types of players. It, and look, I don't, I don't want it to be performative, but even if you're just a cynical, practical type of person, right? In a, in a moment and in, in a time where we are so divided and so much divides us, you know, the ability to stand up and be excited about something and to unite for something, um, like I said, there's limited opportunities. And so if you're the U.S. men's national team, you would want to lean into that because to your point, it brings people into the tent. People dig it. People in America love to cheer for the flag. I will cheer for a sport that I have no clue about because there is an American out there. I mean, we see it in terms of, you mentioned Weston. You know, I will tune in to watch teams that I have no real vested interest other than my professional uh, capacity because there's an American playing. I want that team to do better when there is an American on the field, when there's American ownership. I am proud of the fact that American soccer now is part of all of these different things. And Americans in general, I think, they will unite around a team that represents us. All of our flaws and all of our disagreements out there, and as we know, there are plenty of them, they can be at least put away for a moment in time where we are all together. And like I said, we are all united in watching this representation of our country uh, that comes through, in this case, it would be a soccer team. And from a soccer perspective, guys, as you know, we want as many people into the tent as possible. So many of them will leave, but some will stay. And that's how you grow the game. The tent has gotten a whole lot bigger. There's plenty of room for more to come in. Uh, it is still a labor of love, but it, it is it is a labor. But it's something that I think has gotten easier over the years to push that proverbial rock up the hill. And we got a lot of help right now, and it's gotten easier. But it is still, like I said, uh, a day in and day out type of uh, of effort. And we got a lot of people, including yourselves here, that each and every day do our best to keep pushing it along. And I'm happy that it's gotten easier. And to your point, I love when we celebrate this country uh, together when it comes to soccer or anything else out there. And we, we have too few moments where we're able to do that. Kind of, you guys were talking about Weston McKenzie and some of the others, you know, I, I was actually just texting Jay right now. So he get, he has to know because we asked Landon this. We asked Maurice this uh, when we had them on. We even did kind of a women's version uh, with Carly when we were talking to her a couple weeks ago. 
who is Alexi Lawless's all-time dog team? If we were saying, all right, Alexi, of all the guys you played with, maybe some guys who, who you didn't get to play with on the national team, who is your ultimate dog 11 that you're going to field uh, if we could, if we could do it? Okay. Let's see here. Um, well, I would put Jay in there and not just because he called. Uh, I, I always watched him. And I think a lot of us from that previous generation, as we saw his generation kind of take the reins, we all pointed him and said, that's a guy that I want on the field with me. And by the way, that's a guy I also want at the bar with me after. Yes, and, sir. You know, that's, I can that, was that. Kind of, that was kind of our that was kind of our mentality back then. And, you know, we you know, we uh, we had a you know, we we burned it at both ends, if you will, and had a wonderful yes, time sir. doing it. So, you know, certainly Jay is going to be uh, be there. And And again, just because you're rough and tumble doesn't necessarily mean that you would be on this team. Um, you know, Clint is an interesting one. Because I, I, and I've said this before, and this doesn't necessarily apply to Clint, but you don't have to like the players that you play with. It helps. And if you can, that's great. But you have to respect and appreciate that they're going to help you win. And players have the ability to compartmentalize. Good players have the ability to compartmentalize and to forgive and forget and to ignore things that in normal life would be massive, massive types of problems. Um, and I, I I I didn't mean to preface that by now talking about Clint, but Clint, we all know, he, you know, he's got his own drummer and he does things his own way. But I want him out there because he will run through that proverbial wall. Uh, so he's another one that that certainly I would have out there. You know, back in the day, you mentioned Marcelo. Marcelo saved my ass time and time again, and there was a lot of hair, <laughs> like you said, running running around. And I got a lot of respect for his his hardness, which was you know, beyond compare, but then, you know, then he throws a bike in the middle of a world cup that is <laughs> arguably the greatest miss in world cup history. For those that don't, uh, don't remember it, it was against Columbia. I mean, it was as perfect as you can get and then missed by two inches and still just a wonderful moment. So he had that, that great combination of incredible skill and art artistry when it came to uh, his body combined with a, a real, I mean, he would he would lay you out back. I mean, back then we could, by the way, we could we could crush. I mean, unless there was protruding bone, then, you know, it was like play on. Right. right. So that was it was a different uh, it was a different time back then of the of the players today. You know, we've talked a lot about Weston McKinney. I want Weston McKinney on my team. Uh, and I, I I really respect how much he has improved. And, you know, what that difficult loan in a strange way has made him better. But he came back and has made himself indispensable. Uh, from a from a team perspective, and that that holds a lot of weight with me. And again, fun guy off the field. Uh, I would I I, I know, <laughs> and uh, and it would be fun to to hang with him because I do think when that whistle blows, you can look around and you can see in everybody's other eyes who's with you and who isn't. And I think Weston would always uh, always be with you. So those are those are some. When I get back to you next time we come on the show, I'll have a couple more here. So those are just a little tidbit I'm throwing out there. Yeah, I, say, I, start, I started putting it out like on a depth chart wise on the field. I'm like, okay, we've got a forward, we've got a midfielder, we've got two defenders. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll keep working on the rest of that. We'll make like a big graphic. And, and I think it's something that I, you know, Jay had even talked uh, a little bit one because we also had uh, that same year we had uh, Winalda on with us. You know, we asked them the same question, and 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 um, the thing is that you know, I the only thing I'm upset about not getting to talk to you uh, a couple weeks ago was. 
every US player that we've had on. Um, so I have this 2013 tequila bottle that's made, it's uh, it's got like US soccer stuff all over it. And so I bought it with the intent of, I was never going to open it until the men win the World Cup. And so I just had put out a tweet about, you know, I, hey, US national team players, you know, we're not opening this until we win the World Cup, but the only way you can get a shot of it is if you sign it. Um, and like Conrad was one of the first ones. I'm in. Demerit was like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. So, you know, we've got Winaldo, we've got um, uh, Maurice, we've got Landon, we've got Jay. Uh, and the only thing that we were missing uh, is is you. So hopefully next time we can connect with you, we can Absolutely. get to. And, I mean, you and don't, you don't have to twist claimed. my arm to drink some tequila. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not a <laughs> well, problem. Well, Landon asked in Anaheim, he's like, does tequila get better? Over time, I go, I don't know. He goes, well, we're going to find out. It's going to taste good no matter what. <laughs> and Winalda has actually stated on Twitter that if we get to the final, all the people who had signed it, he's hosting the party in Vegas. So that way we can all be there and take the shot when it happens. Oh, nice. That'll be cool. I saw Eric actually in Anaheim. It, it was uh, it was fun. Eric would be on it, too. I mean, look, I, I, <laughs> I have such a long history with Eric, Eric and um, – you know, I mean, from a playing perspective and a personal perspective, uh, he would definitely be out there. Jimmy might be on there too. Oguchi and Yewu, those types of players. Yeah, it's a Gucci's lot. Now, a you dog. Me, now you got me thinking. Now. now you got me thinking. So that's awesome. Talk about some of the things that you guys got going forward with like Fox Sports and things that you guys have over the next couple of months, this upcoming summer, everything like that. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned, look, this summer is going to be big. I'm, I'm in the downtime right now, but I'm just watching soccer, which is what I do each and every day. Um, what we're going to going to have this interesting, uh, you know, morning to night type of existence when it comes to this summer with the you know two major tournaments, two big tournaments that are going to be on on uh, on Fox with, um, you know, the morning and the afternoon being filled up with Euros uh, and from Germany, and then just basically going into. Uh, Copa America, as we know, Copa America is being hosted here in the United States this summer. We remember the centenario that happened back in 2016, so this is not unprecedented, but it's it's certainly a a massive tournament, oldest tournament in, in the world, and with the added you know um, interest when it comes to it'll be Messi's first tournament since winning the World Cup, and possibly a prelude to his next World Cup or defending the World Cup when it comes to 2026. Oh, by the way in what is now his backyard of the United States. So all of those different narratives uh, that are going that are going on, you know, is it is it actually coming home when it comes to the Euros and back to uh, back to England? Uh, Mbappe and company will ha obviously have a say what Harry Kane's doing right now. And we, we, we had this discussion the other day is, you know, in uh, in television, you usually put up to promote a game, you put up a, a figure of one of the players on the team. And if you're doing England, is it Jude Bellingham? Or is it Harry Kane? You know, which one do you use? Which one has more juice right now? Because Jude has just come on like gangbusters right now. But but Harry, you know, notwithstanding the fact that uh, that Bayern is struggling from being at the top of the league, but they often do. You know, he's he's scored a lot of goals and kind of reinvigorated and renewed himself there. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be fun. We're going to have you know basically the whole day of. Uh, you know, the on-air linear stuff that we are doing, obviously all the digital stuff that we do when it comes to the State of the Union and pregame and postgame and all that kind of stuff. So it's just going to be a fun summer with a lot of soccer. As like at, for all of us as fans, like what do you what does success look like for the U.S. going into the summer? Yeah, so this is a big question, right? And I think it's a fair question to ask um, when it comes to Bre Greg Berhalter in particular. And we know that Greg Berhalter has been given – uh, a second chance and a new lease on life. And one that, let's be honest, he probably in many instances wouldn't have had 
um, but they felt that this was the right way to go. Well, with that comes expectations. And, you know, David Mossy, we were discussing this on our, on our State of the Union the other day of the danger right now is that there is a malaise that is being that is coming into Greg Berhalter relative to this team. And I'm not just I'm not talking about the game this weekend in the, the, the January camp, but with this opportunity that he has been given and a second cycle, which in and of itself is unique, I think it's fair to expect to see an evolved and a different type of Greg Berhalter. It doesn't mean he's throwing out everything that he did, all right? And it doesn't mean that he's going against what he believes in. But in the way that we expect our players to evolve and to grow and get better, especially this generation, which he has been in charge of, you would expect some different and new and exciting things from Greg Berhalter. And we have yet to see that. So I think that that is huge this summer. Just from a practical perspective, obviously you have to get out of the group. We have been to the semifinals of the Copa America multiple times, both back in 16 and way back in my day when we were in 1995. So that's nothing necessarily new. So I think you have to get out of your group. I think you certainly have to uh, find a way past that first game. But if it's against Brazil and, a, and somebody just does an incredible, you know, individual effort and you lose, is that fair to judge, Greg? I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of sick of all the nuances now. I just want to win. I want to figure out one way or another, figure out a uh, a way to win. But ultimately, guys, I think we have to have the sense and the feeling coming out of this summer that we're headed in the right direction relative to 2026. And if for a second we feel that we're not heading fast enough or we're heading in the wrong direction, and I know a lot of people out there are detractors and, and have criticism and valid, fair criticism of Greg Berhalter. If the Federation and the general sense is no, that our best foot forward is not being looked at when it comes to 2026 with where we are right now, then I think you have a responsibility to do whatever it takes to make it right. And that includes changing the coach. Yeah, it's interesting because like I think I think you hit a good point there. I think where I think where a lot of his criticism lies is with and it, it's his assistant coach. So like I think anyone is delusional if they don't think what BJ did was a direct reflection of what Greg did. But they're also look to be a freedom in those games with BJ that we don't always necessarily see with Greg's team. I agree with you. I think the and I, I watched your uh, State of the Union podcast um, uh, talking about the game and from this weekend again. January camp's hard to judge, yeah. um, but. I think you're right. Like, I think it might've been Mossy who said it, but it was just like, it felt, I, I, I'm going to use the incorrect word, but like bland. It was just kind of a bland performance. It, it's, it wasn't exciting. And I think that's where us as fans want to see the summer. It's like, we want to watch a team and be super excited about it. And that's where I, I hope that that's the result. Because again, I, I think there is some value to having consistency, I, but I think all of us just want to watch a team that we really like that we saw in those games. Like I went, mentioned earlier with the Weston McKinney double red cards, and then we go to Canada in the final, and Geo has this unbelievable performance as a 10, gets two assists, gets pulled off at halftime, but we win that game 2 0. It's like, I think we want to feel that same excitement this summer. You should. You should expect that, and you deserve that, Nick. And, and, and we all do because of, especially because of the talent that we have right now. I mean, you can't have it both ways. If we're looking at this talent, and it is an incredibly talented generation, and who knows, maybe there's more waiting in the wings. Hopefully there is, because I, I don't think that there should be any sacred cows when it comes to this team. I think everybody should be in a competitive situation. Otherwise, it is just a golden generation, and it's, it's just going to come and go, and it's the, you know the, the, the graph is going to go voom, voom, right? And we don't, we don't need that. We need to continue to grow. But if... 
if it is this great group of players relative to the seeds that we planted long ago, then we should have higher expectations in the past. And I think that these players are, are cool with having higher expectations. And, you know, we're still, we still, very few teams from a men's perspective and from a women's perspective have won the World Cup. It's very, very difficult. We are still not in the elite upper echelon of teams, but it's not like we're, you know, you know, uh, that it's impossible for the U.S. men to win a World Cup. A lot would have to go right. And I know people think that it's delusional to think that, but that's not the case at all. As I said, you know, even back in 2002, arguably, we're a handball away from going to a semifinal. So things can happen. Yes, you need the soccer gods to smile on you, but you also need the talent to be fostered and, to your point, have the confidence to go out there and milk every inch and every last ounce of talent that exists. We cannot afford to leave anything on the cutting room floor when it comes to this production that we are uh, that we are putting out there come 2026. Last couple of questions. One of the, the soccer chat uh, famous questions is obviously, you know, we'll kind of go uh, in the direction of how you played. If you could use a song to describe your playing style or philosophy, uh, what song would that be? Oh, look, I told you my favorite group is Rat. Uh, and for those that don't know, which is pretty much all of you out there, Rat is a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have we have an older demographic that listens okay, to Okay, well, show. Rat so, Rat is a, you know, m- uh, multi-million selling, uh, you know, platinum artist uh, that was, uh, that came out in the 80s. They, you know, they're, they're, they're still around, um, but that was their, that was their heyday. And it was full-on arena hair rock. And there's a song on their, off their second album, Invasion of Your Privacy, called Lay It Down. And I think that I, I I always use that whenever I have an intro type of piece um, for for myself. It's got one of the great intro riffs I think in in music, and I will fight to the death uh, to defend the honor of Rat as as far as being one of the great bands in history, and certainly one of the great American rock bands in uh, in history. I don't know if anybody has ever uh, uh, been willing to plant that flag or, or die on that hill, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> you you enjoy this? Uh, my senior year of high school for football. Uh, all the seniors, we always would try to wear like the same undershirt underneath our pads. And one of our friends happened to be at a yard sale and found literally uh, 11 striper to hell with the devil tour t-shirts. Wow. Because our, our school colors were black and gold. So we cut the sleeves off of, of course. Of and course. Uh, that's what we wore underneath our pads. But we will definitely save all the hair metal talk for our, for our next show uh, with you. But, you know, as we close out, one of the, the things that we've been doing for uh, this year uh, with our shows is we call it uh, 2024 speak it into existence, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, maybe it's something for, uh, you know, Fox sports, maybe it's something for us soccer. What do you want to put out into the universe that like all of us and including yourself, we can be accountable to try to do whatever it takes to make it happen. So, so that we can be accountable. I mean, I don't know how much say we have in the things that I'm going to say. All right. So we haven't talked a whole lot about the, the women's game, but, this is obviously a huge transition year with Emma Hayes coming in. So I would right. certainly put out into the into the universe that there is a uh, you know a, a recognized turning of the page and a new chapter, if you will, and a return to a prioritization of what should be the focus, which is kicking ass, uh, being the best team in the world, and winning. In this case, it would be Olympics, but then obviously going forward, uh, World Cups. And I think that that is certainly within within reach. And I do think that Emma has a real great opportunity here to kind of reset 
for this team. Uh, so I would put that out from a from a women's perspective. From a men's perspective, two things. You know, one, I guess practically, I want to see them do well in Copa America and what it means to that psyche that we were talking about of not just us that are involved in the game, but everybody that's going to, again, come into the tent with a with an eye to 2026. And hopefully when that when that uh, Copa America is over, we're all, whether we're into soccer or not, saying, yeah, this is something that I want to uh, keep watching over th- uh, for the next uh, for the next couple of years. And the third thing would be uh, maximizing 2026. And you guys were at the uh, convention. Everybody talked about, hey, we have this great opportunity. You know, this we can't afford to let it go to waste. Well, how does that manifest? And it's different for everybody. But finding ways to use the power, you know, I talked about the power of the World Cup, to use the power of 2026 so that the legacy on and off the field is as powerful as possible and is as robust as possible because the circus is going to come and the circus is going to leave. But harnessing the energy and, like I said, the focus and attention and the power of that World Cup, we we developed MLS out of the 94 World Cup. And we know how 1999, how important that was, the Women's World Cup. And it's going to come quick, guys. So yeah. you, have to, you have to be planning and you have to be anticipating right now. Because the world is going to come to our shores with our friends to the north and our friends to the south. And they're going to find a climate um, and a landscape unlike anything that they have seen before. And certainly drastically different than 1994 and 1999. And if we don't maximize that opportunity, it's on us. And it can be doing big, bold things. It's, you know, from an MLS perspective or an NWSL perspective or a USL perspective um, or League MX for that matter, or anybody, anybody out there doing do if they're, if you can't do big, bold, beautifully arrogant American things now with 2026 (laughs) coming, then when the hell are we going to do it? Hell yeah. (laughs) So that's what I hope for. That's what I hope for. So this is your time to plug anything, all your socials, maybe the music, places you're going to be at, shows you're going to be on. Uh, how can how can people catch up with you? Well, like I said, big summer with Copa America and uh, and the Euros uh, from sunrise to sunset and, and beyond. Let's be honest, because we're going to go well into the uh, into the night and we'll start early in the in the morning. So that's huge from a Fox a Fox perspective. As I mentioned, my State of the Union podcast with uh, my my colleague, a uh, Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire david mossy which uh, we continue to do and the music is on all of the different platforms out there whether it's spotify or apple music or anything else out there and you can check it out and uh you know download to your heart's content so that's uh that's what we're doing and then we got some things that we're working on uh, over the next couple of years so hopefully like i said we all collectively and certainly individually maximize what 2026 can be Lexi, thanks so much for joining us. And now I'm already looking forward to, to part two with you to talk more hair metal to get that full dog 11. Uh, I just texted Jay to let him know that he, you were uh, you, you made him his number one pick. I'm sure he'll be uh, ecstatic about that. But thanks so much for, for joining us. Hey, listen, you know, a, a lot of us that, that kick the ball get a, get a tremendous amount of attention and focus and, and let's be honest, credit uh, for where we are. But the reality is that so many people, uh, men and women on and off the field over the years, like I said, are, are working to not just keep this alive, but to push it forward. And so I want to thank you guys for everything that, uh, that you are doing, because it's important and it deserves attention and it deserves praise and it deserves thanks, especially from those of us uh, that have kicked the ball, um, you know, for, you know, now it's 20 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> but 
uh, but it's important. It's important that there's a, a recognition that we're in this together, and it is this this family and this team. It's La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing. So warts and all, uh, but I love it, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So thanks for being part of the family, and, and thanks for including me in your little part of the family.